Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. John and Josh and Rieger knew they shouldn't be out on the ice. It definitely wasn't thick enough to hold their weight, but they didn't care. Even when the neighbor warned them not to go out on the ice, that she was going to go get the police to keep them off the ice, they weren't worried. They were three 14-year-old boys, and 14-year-old boys are invincible, right? At least in their own minds, they're invincible. And so these boys made their way out onto the ice, enjoying an afternoon after school, when suddenly the ice cracked, and the three boys were plunged into the frigid waters. And they were suddenly going from an afternoon of playing to an afternoon of Literally a life or death struggle for survival. Rescue teams from their hometown of St. Charles, Missouri soon arrived and pulled Josh and Rieger from the water. And then two first responders jumped into the the lake trying to find John, but they couldn't locate him. They searched and searched and were about to give up when suddenly they felt him below them and were able to pull him out of those frigid waters to the surface. But John had been underwater for 15 minutes. With no pulse or breath, John was taken to a local hospital where medical professionals worked frantically to save his life. For 43 minutes, they performed CPR with no success. Dr. Kent Sutterer, who was there, was leading the team, was preparing to share the tragic news with John's parents when John's mother burst into the room and said a desperate prayer, Holy Spirit, please come and give me back my boy. And according to the report in Good Housekeeping, that's when things began to change. Immediately, John's heart began to beat after being stopped for over an hour. Doctors told John's parents that he would likely never regain neurological function after that long, but within 48 hours, he was awake and answering their questions. Just three weeks after that January 19th, 2015 accident, John Smith walked out of St. Joseph Hospital West on his own two feet. He did have to attend some outpatient therapy for a few weeks, but the doctors had never seen such a recovery. You might have heard about his story in the 2019 film Breakthrough that chronicled what happened there. What was going on? What occurred in that lake? How was that kind of an event possible? Do true miracles really occur? Or is there some sort of other explanation for what happened in that lake on that day? When we think about cures for disease or even dramatic stories like the one we just described, our minds often think in terms of the miracles of modern medicine. Or we see a massive airplane seeming to defy the laws of gravity get off the ground, and we appreciate the miracles of modern science. In many ways, when surgery and chemotherapy cure a person from cancer— That is indeed a miracle that can push us back to God. After all, the ability to achieve that outcome, even if it can be explained scientifically, is only possible because God has given the ability to people in our world to think and to work through those kinds of problems. We can can see these things as miracles and appreciate how God is at work. We even pray when someone goes into the hospital for surgery that God will provide the doctors and nurses with the skill and the abilities that they need to help that person in their time of need. 
We can all be wrapped up with a bow and fit within our modern scientific brains. God works through the laws and operations of this world to make it a better place. But what about, what about when those explanations aren't enough? What about when a 14-year-old boy is brought back to life after an hour of his heart not beating? What do we do when the doctor says there's no more hope? There's nothing else that we can do. Do we give up? Is that the end of the line? Are we limited to the resources that we can see and touch and smell? It is true that God often works through the laws and rules of the world in which we, he created. He gave this world order and he has given humans the capacity to understand that order and to do some amazing things even seemingly miraculous things, to better the lives of human beings. But is that the end? Does God ever step into our seemingly closed system and break the rules of science, performing acts that are inexplicable? Well, that's the question that we're going to explore this morning as we examine Mark 6, 30 to 44. As we continue in this series, studying the gospel of Mark, following the life of Jesus and hearing the good news of Jesus. Because in this passage, Jesus doesn't follow the rules that the world would say are possible. In fact, he acts in such an outlandish and radical manner that those witnessing his work couldn't help but see that he is God. And that God is far greater than even the rules of our world. And in doing so, Jesus shares with us good news. Good news when we need a miracle. Let's read this passage from Mark chapter 6. Beginning with verse 30, it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. The hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all who ate were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Now at the outset of this passage, Jesus doesn't begin with a miracle. But he does something really, really important, something we've seen a number of different times as we've been making our way through Mark. Jesus recognized that the tiring ministry in which he and the disciples had been involved was really wearing them out. 
It was so bad here that, it, it, that the report is given that the disciples and Jesus couldn't even find time to eat. So Jesus called them away for a time of rest. We all need rest, don't we? And thankfully to God, he's created us with a cycle of daily need for rest where we sleep, weekly need for rest. We have a Sabbath, a Sunday time set apart to have a different kind of schedule where we can find this rest and this replenishment. If Jesus needed to go away and find rest, if his disciples needed to go away and find rest, then we would do well to follow his example. But even with the best of intentions, the needs continue to follow. Although they went to a deserted place, a fact that will become really important in just a minute, the people arrived there on foot, and when Jesus and his disciples made their way from somewhere across the lake, when they got there, there was a crowd already forming. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived and Jesus saw that crowd, he had compassion on them. And so he began to teach them many things. He was already tired. His disciples were already worn out, presumably hungry from the beginning. But both of those things would get even worse as the day went on. And finally, later in the day, as the hour was getting late, the disciples recognized the problem. And they proposed to Jesus a real reasonable solution. Send these people away so they can go around to the surrounding villages and find some food. Jesus, you've done a lot. We're all tired and we're all hungry. Let's get these people going so we can begin to really relax like you knew we needed to hours and hours ago. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't going to participate in the disciples' plan. He wasn't limited by what he could see and what he could figure out. Instead, Jesus gave to them what no doubt sounded like a really bizarre appeal. He told the disciples, you provide them with something to eat. And they quickly responded, as any rational person would, what are you talking about? Jesus, what a ridiculous idea. There's no way we can provide food for all these people. Even if we could find enough food for all these people, it would cost a fortune and there's no way that we can do it. It's impossible, Jesus. Why would you even think about sending us on a task like that? And to that, Jesus asked them, well, what resources do you have? And as an interesting aside, you know, this wasn't the first miracle that Jesus performed here in just a minute. Uh, he had been doing things in front of them that were miraculous and amazing all throughout their, their task. And yet when the disciples looked around, they didn't even consider that Jesus was part of this solution. They looked around, they gathered up what was coming, and they said, well, we've got five loaves, and we've got two fish. That's all we could get people to give to feed all of these thousands and thousands of people. All the disciples could see what was, was what was right in front of them, what they could count and touch and feel. Can you relate to that? Do you ever think about facing a situation and all that you can do is look at the things that you can touch, the things that you can see, the things that are within your own grasp? Do we have the similar kind of problem to disciples wondering and not able to see what Jesus is doing in our midst? Well, when the inventory was taken, it is true that the resources available were quite meager. Five small loaves of bread and two small fish. In the face of thousands of people, that total was literally nothing. There was no way that that could even make a small dent in the needs that were there. Jesus no doubt had them count up what they, the resources they had because he knew what was about to happen and he wanted to see, to them to see this incredible contrast that was going to be seen. He was about to perform a miracle. The actual physical resources were meager. 
This wasn't going to be some sort of optical illusion. Jesus was going to multiply a small amount of resources to enough to feed the thousands. And so with that, Jesus had them sit down in groups, groups of hundreds and fifties, no doubt to make it easier again to count the crowds. When they said there were 5,000 men, we know how many people there really were. Jesus then blessed and broke the bread and fish, showing for all who were watching that it was God who was responsible, and therefore pointing to his own divinity, pointing to the fact that what he was about to do was God at work among them. And with that, the disciples began distributing food, and distributing food, and distributing food, and distributing more and more food. I wonder when it began to dawn on them that something amazing was happening. I mean, it wouldn't have been long if you only had five small loaves and two small fish. Maybe the first person would have had some quantity to give. The second person, maybe a little bit more. But by the time you got to the third person, they had no idea where this stuff was coming from. But they kept getting it more and more. They passed it out to the crowds. Everyone ate, it says, till they were full. till they had all that they could eat. And even then, even then, there were 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. After feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, the leftovers were many times what was the starting meal. It's incredible. How was that possible? Well, it's only possible because Jesus broke the rules of science and the world around him. He performed a miracle, demonstrating his power as God and God's ability to supersede this world. Jesus Jesus performed an incredible miracle. Or did he? You know, our our 21st century minds, trained to view things from a rational and scientific perspective, begin to look at this and raise some big questions. Is there some sort of other explanation at work? Was this really a miracle in which Jesus broke the rules of the natural world and intervened in such a unique manner? One of the explanations that's sometimes put forward is that there was a miracle here, but it wasn't a miracle of Jesus. It was instead a miracle of generosity. The disciples said there were only five loaves and two fish, that that was the only food that was there, but maybe what really was, was that was the only food that people were willing to give away. They actually had other food hidden in their clothes and in their bags. And when they saw the generosity of the one, they were inclined to pull out their own food and share it with those who were around them. The problem with this explanation is that Everyone ate, and there were still 12 baskets full of leftovers. You know, sometimes we can read through this, and we can wonder, what's the significance of 12 baskets? Well, part of the significance of that is, again, that this was no sleight of hand. I mean, if people were hiding a little bit of lunch in their clothes or in their bags, that, that, that might be possible. But certainly after they all ate until they were full and shared it around, there's no way that that could all add up to 12 baskets full of bread, and of fish. No, the size of Jesus' miracle, the specificity of the 12 baskets, shows us that there was no mere act of generosity in the crowd, or no mere even sleight of hand on Jesus' part, pulling out hidden resources that were just slightly out of sight. This was indeed a miracle. A miracle in which the rules of this world were broken, in which Jesus intervened in a mighty and amazing kind of way. Well, we may be able to recognize that it's possible for God to break into the world to perform miracles back when Jesus was there. If the Bible is to be believed, Jesus did just that. 
But what difference does that possibility make in, world, in our world? Is it possible for miracles to actually happen today? Throughout much of our lives, we respond to challenges much like those disciples, as we talked about a few minutes ago. We assess the resources at our disposal. We see whether there might be some particular specialist who can give us a hand. We work hard to find a solution in our work. When the seemingly miraculous occurs, we look for the scientific explanation. But occasionally, occasionally we're forced to a different reality. Occasionally, our best efforts come up short. Occasionally, from the prognosis from the doctor is that there's nothing else that can be done, that medicine can do no more. And in that, in that time, when we come to our ends, we ask the question, is there any other place that we can turn? Is there any other hope when there's nowhere else? On certain circles of our culture, to think that the possibility of a miracle where God intervenes in our world, where God comes into our world and breaks in against the, the known laws of this world, in some circles of our culture, even raising that possibility is deemed so ridiculous that it's not even worth a serious consideration. But I want to suggest to you this morning that people who think that that's not even a possibility, they actually have the burden of proof in this conversation. Those who say that miracles can't happen, the burden of proof is actually on their side. Why do I say that? Well, those claiming that there's no possibility of miracles, they, they, would, they would have to demonstrate that every single miracle that's ever even been proposed is not possible. But those who think and proclaim that there's a possibility, again, a possibility of miracles, well, for there to be a possibility, it only has to happen one time, right? If it even happens once, where God intercedes in our world and breaks the known laws of this world, if it happens one time, then it's possible it can happen a second time or a third time or a fourth time. But the other side of the argument that says that it's not possible, that there is no way that God never intervenes in that kind of way. Well, to them, they need to come up with an explanation for the hundreds of thousands or even millions of examples that we find in Scripture, the feeding of the 5,000, the rising, raising of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus walking on water to the more modern examples like John Smith that we talked about earlier in our passage, and those that have happened down through the centuries from the time of Jesus until the time of now. That's a pretty steep hill to climb. If even one truly miraculous act by God can be recognized, then the possibility of a miracle is secure. The Bible gives us examples, and our world around us gives us examples. Miracles of God are indeed possible. And that reality should give each one of us an incredible amount of hope. When there's nowhere else to turn, we can always turn to God. The truths and the realities of this world are not the final answer. God is with us, and God has the ability to do the unimaginable. Now that all sounds well and good, We might recognize and accept that Jesus has the ability to perform miracles. We might even accept that God can do miracles in our world today. But if that's the case, then why do people pray for healing and still die? Why do people pray for protection and still feel the impact of accidents? Why do people pray for food and still go to bed hungry? In short, why doesn't God always work in a miraculous manner that we desire? Why do miracles seem 
so arbitrary? I gotta admit, those are difficult questions. Unfortunately, there isn't a simple answer other than we can say that God is greater than we are. And we're invited to trust that whether God works or God chooses not to work, he is all-powerful and, and he is all-loving. That doesn't always feel like a satisfactory answer, especially when we're in the midst of those trying times and God is choosing not to answer in a miraculous way. But think about it. If God is great enough to break the rules of this world even once, even once, to miraculously perform an act, might he also know better than we, our ultimate best? The simple fact is that even in Jesus' day, not everyone was healed. There were people even in his day who were injured in accidents and died from disease. And even the people who were healed would later die from something else. They're not with us still today. Even the people who received food on that day when he fed the 5,000, when they woke up the next morning, they were hungry. They needed something else to eat. These miracles weren't intended as forever cures. Instead, they served a rather simple purpose. As one pastor suggested that I heard this week, miracles are signs that point beyond themselves to something greater. And what is that something greater? That something greater is God. A God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-knowing, and a God who is all-loving. Yes, we want to experience the healing. Yes, we want to be nourished by the food. Yes, we want to experience the incredible power of God. But more importantly, do we want to see God in the midst of those miracles, in the midst of our world? Sometimes God knows we'll be drawn into a stronger relationship with him through the demonstration of that miracle. And sometimes, sometimes God knows that we'll be drawn to a stronger relationship with him as he gives comfort and grace and his presence in the midst of that trying time. What difference does it make if God is willing and able to break into our world? Well, the big difference is that it gives us hope. This world is not the end. The rules of this world are not the end. The problems and the trials of this world are not the end. We're going to celebrate in about five weeks the greatest miracle of God. Jesus Christ was really dead. He didn't merely look dead. He wasn't almost dead or mostly dead. The rules of this world say that a person who is dead is dead. There's no hope of returning to life. But Jesus didn't remain dead. On that first Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty, and Jesus is alive. And the same Jesus who is alive returned to the Father, who in turn sent the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives and in our world. God does indeed perform miracles. The limits of our world set by the rules of science and the natural order are not God's limits. So we have good news this morning. When we need a miracle, we can turn to God. God hears our prayers and is at work among us. And we can trust him, whether he chooses to act by performing that miracle or by walking through the trials of life in our midst, giving us strength. There's good news this morning. Good news when we need a miracle. That is that God is a miracle-working God.